morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Samuel. If you are um, new to church or not or new to our church, um, then I want to let you know that uh, each and every week we come together and we spend a significant amount of our time together uh, studying the Bible because we believe this to be the very word of God, that God actually speaks to us through his word. And so we're glad that you're here. If you would like to follow along with us, we would love to have you do so. You can find 1 Samuel 25. It's in, there's the uh, front part of the Bible, which is the Old Testament, the back part, which is the New Testament. And this can be found on page 234 of the the Bibles that you can find in the pew in front of you. Or you can search it up on any of your mobile devices and you'll be able to find 1 Samuel 25. If you are a guest, then you find us in our second week of a series that we call Wonder Women. Uh, where there's untold stories of great faith. We so often know of the great names of the Bible, like Jesus, which is a good one. Um, we, we like him. Uh, Paul, we, we know a lot about Paul. We, we know a number of these different people, but we thought it would be helpful for us to take a little bit of time, a few weeks, and just look at some of the women who are, who are taught about in the scriptures and see about their faith and how they might be able to impact our faith, uh, our faith journey. And so we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You know, I, I, I read, and I read a lot. It's a hazard of the job. Um, but most of what I read is actually nonfiction. It's just, it's stuff. You know, it's, it's theology stuff, which is good. There's other stuff, you know, news. Uh, I read a lot. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction. And apparently I'm a lesser of a person because I don't. Um, because I don't actually know uh, how characters are developed uh, how, what, what a good character development is, what it isn't. I just don't really know all that stuff. Um, but that's why I'm really helped by the beginning of 1 Samuel, because the writer of 1 Samuel chapter 25 just lays it out for us. They just give right out, they say, here are the characters. I'm like, oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's really helpful. I know that. So let's start with, we get an introduction to the story, actually beginning right there in verse, the first verse of First Samuel chapter 25. Here, let me put it up on the screen for you. Now, now Samuel had died, so we're kind of catching up on the story. There's a story that's been happening. We'll reference a little bit of that as we move along. Samuel had died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. And then David uh, moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had a property near there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which was uh, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Okay, so there we have. There we have. Okay, um, it starts with Samuel, but he's gone. He died, so he's out. All right, and then we have David, King David, who is actually the anointed king. He is going to be the next king of Israel, and so we we know that to be the case. Now, David has actually been. If we were following along and reading through the story of First uh, Samuel, which is a great idea, uh, what you would find is that King David at this particular point is being chased by the current. Well, the, the presumptive king, the anointed king, David, is being, ch uh, is being uh, uh, chased by the actual king, which is Saul. When Saul knew that David was anointed, he didn't really like that, so he wants to kill him. He wants to take him out. Okay? That's what's going on. And right now, Saul has 3,000 of his men chasing David. That was going, that's what's happening. 
right? So we were introduced to David. And then there's this guy by the name of Nabal. Now, Nabal is a wealthy man, we're told. He's a wealthy man. Uh, not only that, but he is a surly man, and he's a mean man. He's just not a really nice guy. Um, if you actually walked through the story, which we will, it's referenced three or four different times that he's just a bad dude, just not a really great guy, right? Um, I'm not sure. If you actually look up Nabal, his name actually means fool. That's what his name means. I'm not sure if that has to do with his parents, if they just were just sort of pessimistic people. They're just like, hey, look at this cute baby. Or maybe he was an ugly baby. I don't know. Maybe he was an ugly kid, and they're like, yeah, let's go with Nabal. Um, I'm not sure how that went. I'm not sure. I mean, that naming, naming your children is such a delicate process. I'm not going to judge them. Uh, they do it whatever. But his name was Nabal, and he's a fool, which means fool. And then there's Abigail, the wife of Nabal, and she is, we're told, and is beautiful, and she's intelligent. And so these are the primary characters. So we have our introduction to the characters in our story. And then there's an encounter that happens. And this encounter is an encounter between David, the anointed king, and Nabal himself. That's what happens next. There's this encounter that ensues. Now, David had been with his men, right? So he and his men were the run, they're on the run from Saul, but they had sort of been in the wilderness, and, and in their wilderness dealings, they had actually been around Carmel, and they were actually saw the sheep that were a part of Nabal's wealth, and they actually provided a sort of sphere of protection for these sheep. And they provided, they also, not only did they protect Nabal's shepherds and sheep while they were there, but they also didn't steal any. They didn't take any for themselves, right? So uh, as a result, then David decides to send a message to Nabal and just sort of say, hey, we helped you protect your wealth. What do you say you give us a little bit of a gift back? Right? We didn't ask you to. You didn't ask us to do it. But but this is what we're we're hoping for. So we find this in verse four. Verse four. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, and so he sent ten young men and said to them, "Go up to Nabal at Carmel, and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours." Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. So these young me, these 10 men went to Nabal and to Nabal's estate and they went and they delivered the message in the name of David and then they waited for a response from Nabal. And now we're going to have the opportunity to see why Nabal was named the foolish man, right? Now we're going to see his foolishness on full display. Here is his response. Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Hmm. 
how well do you think King, the anointed King David is going to be receiving that message, right? Um, he, so he essentially says, he says, um, who is this David? Well, of course, he knows who this David is because he says, who is this David, the son of Jesse? Nowhere in the introduction, uh, nowhere in the words that David's men were sent with did they talk about him being the son of Jesse. They knew who David was. They knew that he was on the run from King Saul, the current king. He knew this. He knew exactly who David was. Many, but then he calls him a slave. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Ah, uh, uh, you're running away from the king. So he's just poking at him. He's poking at him. And he says, why? Why should I give of my bread? And why should I give of my water? And why should I give of my meat to serve my men? Why should I give any of that to you? I mean, who knows where these no-names come from? Not very nice. So he decides, he sends the message back. So these 10 young men go back to the anointed King David with the message. I, I don't know, I, I just, I'm just really curious as to, I, well, I don't know, but I just wonder what that must have been like for them. They're walking back, ooh, it's about to go down. I mean, did they think that? I mean, what, what were they, were they nervous about what David was gonna do? I, I don't know, we don't know. But what we do know is they went back and they told him word for word exactly what Nabal had said. This is, they went to go tell David, verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his sword as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Hmm. I don't know if David was angry, if he just, or if he just had this poker face and he's like, yep, I know how to handle this. One word, sword, strap them on. It's about to go down right now. We're, there is Mr. Nabal who needs to meet Mr. David with Mr. Sword. That's what needs to happen right now. There is gonna be one thing that's gonna happen. This man needs to know who this man is is that I am the anointed king and that's what's gonna happen. So boys, let's go, strap up, let's get on it. That's what he's doing, that's what he's, look it. He says, he's going to Nabal's house with shepherds and stuff. He brings 400 men with swords. There is going to be a bloodletting, that's the point. David was like, I'm gonna show you that I am the new king, that I am the anointed king. I'm going to show you how this is gonna go down. He clearly, knew what he wanted to do, and that was to take out Nabal. So this was the encounter that were there was between Nabal the fool and David the, the, the anointed king, and this is the tension of the Nabal household, right, that has now been created because of the foolish talk of the head of the household. So then there's an intervention that needs to happen, or that did happen. There was one servant who was there many servants, but one of the servants who was there who heard Nabal's response to David and went, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't good. This is, this is, mm, this is bad. This is not, this is, mm. and so what does he do? He decides to go find Abigail, the wife of Nabal, and he, and he, he wants to have a conversation with her. This is what he says, verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. 
Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us the whole time we were out in, in, in the fields near them. Nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disasters hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. He's like, um, I know I, maybe I shouldn't be coming to you, but I'm, I'm coming to you because these men who came to us, they, they came to us asking if they could have some food, and we said no. We, uh, he said no. He insulted them, and now um, they were really good to us. They, they treated us really nicely. Um, now there's going to be disaster over all of us. We're going to die. Uh, this is what's going to happen to us if we don't... Would you think it over and see if there's anything that you might be able to do? I would go to Nabal, but nobody can talk. He won't listen to anybody. So Abigail learns for the first time of the encounter that had happened between Nabal and, and David, and then she quickly moves into action. Abigail could not be more the opposite of her husband. She is wise, she is wise. She is winsome, she's intelligent, she's resourceful, and she gets on it right away. She gets on it right away. And in, uh, in verse 18, then she says, here's what's gonna happen. She says, it says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two, wine skins of, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sails of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She told her servants, go ahead, I will follow. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Can you imagine the intensity of this particular moment? I mean, if you could just put yourself in this. She just hears for the first time that disaster is hanging over their, their household because of her, the silliness of her husband. And now the servant is coming with a quiver in his voice and the servant is coming. He said, is there anything that you can do? Can you think it over? And she says, here, take this stuff, go. The only question is the question is not whether David is coming. The question is whether they can get to David before David and his men come because disaster is hanging over their household. And so uh, off go the servants and then she goes and follows along. And she eventually finds David. And this is the discussion between Abigail and David when she finds him, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, but let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to the wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. So she says, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that you'd come. I, 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 would you please pay no attention to Nabal? He's a fool. Don't, don't listen to him. Instead, will you receive this gift? Will you take this gift? Will you take this sacrifice that we can give to you? And will you feed your men with it? And then, and then she continues. 
Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord everything good, every good thing that he promised concerning him and has, has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. She says, don't you see, God is going to, God is, you are God's anointed and he will protect you and he will fulfill his promises. Look at the faith that she has, the faith in who God is and what he has promised. And so she says to him, this is what God is doing. And when God fulfills his promises and you are king, then remember your servant. Well, David, writhing with anger, now having listened and saying, yes, the Lord is the one who actually, the Lord is the one who actually saved me from shedding innocent blood through Abigail. Listen to the response of David. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed in your, for your good judgment in keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her what she had brought to him and said, go home in peace, for I have heard, from, I have heard your words and granted your request. <laughs> Can you imagine? He goes, you're right. We'll receive your gift. Now go, go home in peace. That'd be exactly what she did. The relief that she must have felt, the relief that their servant who had, had told her and saw the danger coming must have felt when they realized that David was no longer going to avenge himself. And then she goes home. And what does she find when she goes home? She finds her foolish husband in the midst of a drunken party, completely wasted, totally, totally wasted. And so she decides wisely not to talk to him about this. And then the next, until the next morning. And then she says, and this is what, verse 37. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. The next day, when he was sober, Abigail says, I got a little story to tell you. And when she completed the story, his heart became like a stone and 10 days later, he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, then he goes and he takes Abigail to be his wife. That's a story. Pretty intriguing, isn't it? Interesting stuff that's in the scriptures. What can we learn from this? Is there anything that we can sort of take away with us from this? I think there's, uh, there's several things that we could. I, I want to point, I want to direct us towards three things about Abigail's journey and about Abigail's faith. The first is this. 
that Abigail preserves. Abigail preserves. If you were to read, and I would encourage you to do so, if you were to read 1 Samuel chapter 24, what you'd find is this encounter where David was running from Saul. Remember, he has his 3,000 men that are chasing after David and his men, and they end up hiding in a cave. They're hiding way back deep in this cave, and as they're hiding there, then they realize that King Saul comes into the front of the cave, and we're told that the reason King Saul enters the cave is to relieve himself. He it's true. It's in, the, it's in the Bible. You can read it. He goes to the bathroom. That's what he was doing in the front of the cave. And so David's men say to David, hey, David, this is the, the Lord is delivering Saul into your hands. Go kill him. Take him. So David goes and he sneaks up. And what he ends up doing is he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And then he has great conviction because David is, he's not, he says, I, I, I'm not to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He is the king. I, I, I can't kill him. I can't take his life. And so he doesn't. So he retreats back. And Saul, after Saul finishes, then he leaves from the cave and begins to walk out. And then David goes out after him and he holds the corner of his robe. He calls to King Saul and says, look, the Lord delivered you into my hands, but I didn't take your life. And they have this intense exchange between these two men. And then David goes on. He, David understood that it was not his to take the life of the Lord's anointed who was King Saul, even though King Saul was after him and wanted to kill him. And then we get into chapter 25. And David is willing to just slaughter people for just a silly comment, for being offended. What happened to David? What, what happened to David? Because here, he's a man of the Lord. He can't, take, he can't take someone's life. Here, he's willing to slaughter all of these men. What happened to David? What happened to his? David was simply following his feelings. He was following after his emotions. He was following his heart. He was going after what he felt like was the deepest desire of his heart in that moment, which was to go and to avenge himself. Here, he says, the deepest desire of his heart. He, he was going to honor God, and he was that. And in this moment, that he says he's, he's going to follow after his feelings. David would have fit right into our culture these days. The messages that we constantly hear that if you're going to be your truest self, if you're going to live out your truth, then you need to follow your heart. If you're going to follow. If you're going to be true and authentic person, then you need to follow who you, how you feel. The driving force of your decision-making of your life is how you feel and what your emotion, about your urges and your emotions. And if you're unwilling to follow who you feel like you are, then you are un, unauthentic. Then you are lacking a self. Then you're not being true to yourself. David was committed to being true to himself. He had 400 men, all with swords. Oh, he knew what he wanted. He was following his heart. The, the problem is, we're really bad at discerning what is the, really de the deepest desires and longings of our hearts. We're not very good at it. What we're good at is knowing the loudest desire of our hearts. We know the, the things that are clamoring in the moment. David's deepest desire was that he would be the anointed king, that he would honor Yahweh, and yet the loudest desire in his heart was that he would avenge his own name. And he had 400 men with swords and said, if, if Abigail had not come by daybreak, all of the men of Nabal's household would have been dead, every single one of them. 
And he was living out his own, he was following the desire of his heart in the moment. It's amazing how such a godly man could restrain himself in one moment and then have unbridled passion in the next. Or is it not that amazing really at all? That we're all pretty similar. That in one moment we can have great self-control and in the next moment we have a complete loss of control of our desires. That in one moment we're great at restraining our tongue and in the next moment we, have our, we, we, we unleash our tongues with an unfiltered flurry of words. We're not so different. But God sends Abigail to preserve his anointed. She says, Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you be like Nabal. The Lord has sent me to preserve you, to keep you from innocent bloodshed so that when you become king, you do not have this hanging over your head. This is what the Lord has done for her, for him, through her. Because there are times in our lives when God sends Abigail into your life to keep you from doing what is your loudest heart's desire. There are times when God will send an Abigail into your life to preserve you and to protect you from you, from yourself. Do you, do you understand that? That for some of us, God will not give you your heart's desire now because he loves you and he's protecting you for future, future faithfulness or fruitfulness. That because we do not, are not able to discern our own hearts, that God, who knows all things, when we come to him and we pray for what we feel like is our heart's desire and we come pleading, he in heaven listens and says, oh, I know. I know that that's what you think you want. But if you know everything that I know, this is what you actually need. That's what our good, good father does for those who are his children. And God will send Abigails into your life and mine to because he loves you in order that he might preserve you for the future fruitfulness of your life. That's what he did to King David because he was his anointed and he didn't want to have foolish bloodshed on his anointed one's hands. And so God will send Abigails into your life not because he doesn't like you or doesn't want you to have fun because he does love you and he's preserving you. God used Abigail to preserve David. God uses others like Abigail in your life and in mine to preserve us for future fruitfulness. And sometimes you are an Abigail in someone else's life. And sometimes that's exactly what God calls you to do and calls you to be. In a loving, caring, winsome way, God, just like Abigail was to David, but in a very clear in convicting way, coming to those who are our neighbors, who are our friends, who are our family members, who are our loved ones, who are our colleagues, and saying, I want, careful. Because we're not very good at discerning our heart's greatest desires. But we do know our loudest ones. God used Abigail to preserve his anointed one. Second is this. Abigail preserves, and then Abigail preaches. David is on the run from the king. 
He had 3,000 men. It's hard. I've never had 3,000 men after me, and sometimes I have a hard time sleeping. I'm, I, can you imagine knowing that there's a king and 3,000 people chasing after you? I, you can't imagine you're sleeping all that well. And then all of a sudden, there's this little, this little no-name guy who's foolish and silly, and he offends me, and I just, and, you know, and, it, and you know what? We're going to throw down. That's how this is going to, I mean, David's kind of a mess, right? Can we just agree that he's, there's a tense time. There's a lot going on. He's a little bit of a mess. And, and, and just, it's just, it's just the space that he's in. He's like all over the place. Have, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like life just continues to keep swirling around you? The, the circumstances of life are just kind of swirling around you. You just kind of get caught in the mix of all of it. That you have a great moment and that's mixed with a stressful moment. That's mixed with a selfish moment. And it's all within, within, within like 12 hours of one another. And you're like, ah, what is going on? What's going on in my life? Have you ever felt like that? Sometimes you just need somebody to preach to you. Sometimes you just need somebody who's going to preach truth to you. David had all of this stuff swirling around, and he needed somebody. He needed Abigail to come preach truth to him. That's what he needed. He needed her to say, this is what is reality. Let me show you. Can we go back to those words that Abigail spoke to David? Those words? She says, please forgive for the presumption, right? I love that. Then she says, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Listen, imagine yourself to be David and you're in this space. And now she says, let me speak some truth to you, anointed king. Listen, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you. You are the anointed king. This is what God has promised to do for you, David. This is what God has promised to do. Do I need to remind you of that, David? And she goes on. Why? Because you fight the Lord's battles, David. You are God's chosen one to go fight the Lord's battles. This is what God has chosen you for. And you will find no wrongdoing in you, David. And she continues. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of your life will be bound securely in a bundle of the living by the Lord your God. I know that the king is after you. I know that there's 300 men after you. I know that there's stress. I know that life is hard. But God is the one who protects you. He has you in a bundle of safety because why? You're the Lord's anointed. You are fighting the battles. And God is going to protect you. And your enemies, they're like a pebble in the slingshot. You think there isn't a reference to the fact that David slung a, a pebble and hit Goliath, the biggest enemy that the, that the nation had ever seen, that she's throwing back? David, by the way, that's what your enemies are like. Do you, have you forgotten, David? Have you forgotten what God has done for you, David, and for our nation? And when the Lord has fulfilled his promises, when he puts you on the throne, do you, understand? Do you see, she's reminding him, you are the Lord's anointed. You are the one who's fighting the Lord's battles. You are the one who has safety and protection from the Lord. God is the one who fights, who gets rid of your enemies because God will put you on his throne because that is the faithful God that we serve. She's preaching to the king, to the future king. And I wonder if this morning you might need preached to, like I need preached to. She says, you're God's man. You're fighting God's battles. Life is hard, but God is protecting you. Your enemies will flee, and the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. 
I wonder if you need some preaching this morning. To be reminded that you are chosen by God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then before the foundations of the world, God has chosen you. He has known you. Do you know that? That you have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. When's the last time you thought about the fact that you have been chosen by God? Maybe you need to be reminded that God has established an armor for you to be able to put on because God has no other means by which he works than through his church. And you are one of his children, which means you're fighting fighting the battles of the Lord, and he has equipped you to do so with his word. He has equipped you to do so with everything that you need for life and for godliness. You are fighting the Lord's battles because he has chosen you and he is sending you. I wonder if you remembered that this morning. I wonder if you need to know that your life is in the hand of a good, good father, that you are bound up by in, in the net of protection that comes from a sovereign God who rules over all things. You need to know that no matter what's swirling around you, God, the almighty God, has you in a net of safety, and he is the one who protects. That his enemies have already been defeated by Christ on the cross, and therefore we live in the victory that Christ has already bought for us. That we are reminded reminded of this this morning, that we need to be reminded that God always fulfills all of his promises to his people. God put David on the throne, and God will fulfill all of his promises. He will make all of his promises, yes and amen, in Christ Jesus and those who are following after him. Do you need to be preached to this morning? Do you need a reminder like I needed a reminder this week of all that God has done? Abigail says to David, and Abigail says to you and me, this is the God that we serve. Remember who you are in him. Abigail preserves David. Abigail preaches to David. And finally, Abigail points. Abigail points. Abigail, and her heroic act of protecting the Lord's anointed, is intended to point to something else even more heroic. Her act of preservation, her act of salvation, is actually to point to something far more significant, and that is the work on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you were to go back and look at um, verse 23 in the English Standard Version, we use the NIV. If you look at the ESV, it reads this way. When Abigail saw David, he hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on, his, on her face and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Abigail did nothing to offend David. Abigail didn't even know that an offense against David had happened until this servant came to her. But then she goes to David and says, allow the guilt to fall on me. Don't look at foolish Nabal. Allow the guilt to fall on me and accept this sacrifice, accept this gift that I am giving to you in order that you might be able to feed your men. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. There was no offense for Christ against his heavenly father. He was a sinless man, and yet he went to the cross. And on the cross, he says, on me alone be the guilt, my father. On me alone. Don't look at these people. Don't look at these neighbors. Don't look at these sinners. Don't look at those folks. But just look at me and allow my sacrifice to be enough for your holy righteous wrath. And on the cross, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do.
The person I resemble the most in this story is Nabal. I don't like it. I don't want to, but it's true. And the foolishness of my, and selfishness of my own life and my own existence. When I embrace the reality of my sinfulness, then I look at the cross and it makes Christ all the more beautiful. It makes the glory of Jesus Christ all the more beautiful because he is all I need. And even in the brokenness of the realities of my life, looking at the beauty of the cross and knowing that this is truth, this is the one who calls, this is Christ. May we be those who long to stare into the beauty of all that Christ has done for us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these stories of great faith. May we in 2017 live lives of great faith that someday generations past will, 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 will talk about the people who had great faith in our day. Will you, by your spirit, continue to shore up our weak backs and, and weak knees in order that we might live the life that you've called us to for your glory. Amen.